Welcome to another conversation on the All About You podcast. I want to ask you a few questions. Are you happy? Do you know what makes you happy? And do you think you can improve your level of happiness? My guest today is Edward G. Dunn, who has the successful podcast Happiness 2.0. So who better to take us into the world of happiness than Ed? So Ed, welcome to the podcast. Hi, super glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So Ed, let's talk about happiness. What made you start a podcast, start researching and all the other things you're doing to do with podcasts? How did all that come about? Sure, great question. It goes back decades, actually. I was a um, lazy student in high school, shall we say. But when I took my first high school psychology class, uh, it really, really resonated with me. And of course, my guidance counselor is like, why are you making straight A's in psychology and goofing off and everything else? But uh, it just captivated my interest. And so when I went to undergrad, that's the path I pursued. But I always had, I had it in mind that I really wanted to marry the concepts and tools of behavioral psychology to help organizations um, is where it all started um, to improve their internal communications so that they had happy, happier employees and their external communications so they had happier customers. And that usually meant conflict resolution and departmental resolutions, that kind of thing. And that's kind of, and I launched a consulting practice and that's really what started the whole thing. And then, um, you know, I did that for a long while, you know, consulted for some big U.S. corporations, big Fortune 500, Fortune 100 U.S. corporations. and But I became more and more interested in the applications to people's personal lives. And through, you know, decades of, of a lot of study and a lot of research and, you know, the things I was pursuing in grad school, it just kind of led me down this path. Yeah. And so I thought, well, you know, I need to get this message, this messaging out there, but it needs to be in a framework that people can use and understand and they can apply to their lives very easily. And so that's when I started building the happiness 2.0 framework, which is really nothing than a tool set. It's just a, a number of wrenches, if you will, that people can apply to their lives to be a whole lot happier. And, you know, I'd look back at, you know, at my 20s from the perspective now, and I, you know, I, I constantly think, I really wish I would have known, you know, a lot of this stuff back then. Of course, I don't like to traffic and regret much or look backwards, but, you know, it would have been great to have. So, um, so the podcast and the blog and the books that I'm writing, you know, all of that was an effort to get this tool set out to, to the masses so people can live a, you know, a happier, more meaningful, more fulfilled life. Because when you ask people, are you happy? Most people say, yeah, I'm happy or I'm reasonably happy or yeah, I'm, I'm OK. And then when you ask them what makes you happy, it's very, very interesting. The answers, my family, my children, my dog, my cat, my work, being retired, etc. So happiness has got so many different levels and different ideas to people. Yeah, it's it's complex to be sure. Well, first of all, I, I think it's really important that foundationally for people to understand, at least from all the work and research that I've done over the years, that 
Pursuing happiness uh, as its own goal is really not the best approach. Pursuing meaning and value uh, and purpose, those are first-line pursuits. Happiness is a byproduct of those things. That's one. And and secondly, I, I think that especially in Western countries, Western civilizations, I think that people have a very, very distinct misunderstanding of what the elements, the pillars of happiness are because of media, because of institutions, because of any number of sources, a lot of people, most people come to believe that if they just, you know, acquire enough stuff and, and stack enough money that that will make them happy. And, you know, literally all of the the research that's out there, peer reviewed, scientific, psychological research will consistently and has consistently revealed that that's just not the case because we fall into what's been called the wheel of hedonic adaptation, which basically means everybody has essentially a hardwired happiness set point, right? Some people are just naturally more happy, optimistic than other people. Um, However, when we pursue material things uh, as as a means of happiness, you know, turn on the TV or YouTube and in five seconds, you'll come to believe that, you know, if you just have this card, this bag, this house, this whatever, that you're going to be happy. But it's very, very temporary and fleeting. Very, very quickly, our psychology is is wired such that we return back to our natural happiness set point. So we end up like hamsters on a wheel, constantly chasing something that we think is going to make us happy, which is you know, that's why you see billionaires, for example, you know, no matter how much money they have, they're always chasing that next big deal because the new will wear off and the new is going to wear off the car. The new is going to wear off the house and it's going to wear off the plane or the yacht or whatever it may be. Right. Whereas keystones to lasting happiness are found in like meaning and purpose and value and, and service to others and acts of kindness in following our purposes and our and our passions those are the things that are sustainable. Those are the things that don't put us in a place of the constant pursuit of more, 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 more. You know, it's an interesting caveat that we tend to forget. And, you know, people hear the statistic and they're just either they don't they don't believe it or they're just stunned. And that is we forget somewhere between 95 and 98 percent of our life. I mean, you think about how many times you've taken a shower, made a meal, driven to work. You know, you forget all of it. It just vanishes into the ether. But random acts of kindness is a prime example. Those things can stick with you and with the person you share them with for a lifetime. The same is true of experiences. So anything that creates strong emotion is what sticks in the memory banks. Everything else is just going to fade away. You know, people at the end of their lives, people rarely when they're asked about regrets, do they ever mention things that they did? It's always, almost always things that they did not do. And so I think it's important to look to look at your life and say, hey, what kind of things am I doing on a on a day in, day out, or week in, week out, or month in, month out basis, where for the rest of my life, when I consider that event, uh, it's still going to put a smile on my face. It's still going to make me happy. Does that make sense? I think that makes perfect sense. And I have heard this situation about regrets. We have regrets about the things we didn't do rather than the things we did do. We do. I I think that's so, so true. If we look at happiness and we sort of make a list of 
happiness is spending time with your pets, your family, your kids, etc. If we made a list of the things that make us happy, we need to try and incorporate something from that list into our day, even if it's something like one good cup of coffee a day, sit down, save it and drink it. Just one cup a day. Can we make time to do that in, in our day? What do you think about that, actually making time for these these things that make us happy? I think it's a great question. And I'm going to come come at this from maybe an angle that might be a little unexpected for a lot of people. Things that make you happy, just like you mentioned, whether that's time with your family, time with your loved ones, time with your friends, um, new experiences, adventures, um, you know, time with your animal companions, you know, all of those things. You need to make time for every bit of that. You know, I've been asked this question a lot and people say, look, if there's just one thing, you know, if you were just going to tell people, here's the one thing that you can do that'll make you happy. And interestingly enough, it's not even something that you have to consciously make time for. It requires no additional time. Look, we all have 24 hours in the day, right? But that is living in the present, being fully present, being in the moment. And, you know, a lot of it has been written about mindfulness and meditation and these types of of ideas, you know, which are really pointed at that end. However, once you strip away all the esoteric descriptions and exotic, you know, ideation around what can we do to make us happy? Living in the moment is the singular most powerful thing that we can do without exception. I've yet to find an exception to this rule, and I've been doing this for a long time because it's a near universal human condition that we tend to spend a huge amount of our time living in or regretting things in our past. I wish this would have happened this way. I wish this would have gone this way, or I wish this person would have done that, or I wish I would have not said that. Or we spend, I just wrote a blog post about this, you know, advice for people in their twenties, or we live in a constant mode of I'll be happy when, be happy when I get the perfect job I'll be happy when I, when I make X amount of money, I'll be happy when I have 2.4 kids, I'll be happy when I have the perfect relationship, all of these things. And the reality is you can't be happy in the past and you can't be happy in the future. It's impossible. You can only be happy in the present in this moment because your life is nothing but the eternal now. You know, I have I have a clock on my wall and it has no numbers on it. It just says now where all the numbers would normally be. And I think that that is the most powerful tool people have at, at their disposal, because in essence, what are we doing by living faster in the future? We are renting out space in the only moment that we will ever have, which is the one that we are in. And we're doing it when we're looking into the future. We're not suggesting don't plan for the future, of course. But what I am saying is if you're living in a mode of I'll be happy when, then you come to the realization at some point in your life that we as humans are absolutely terrible at predicting what will make us happy. Famed Harvard psychologist Daniel Gilbert wrote a book called Stumbling on Happiness, and he talks about this from a very scientific perspective and years and years of data, we're just no good at predicting what will make us happy. Jim Carrey famously said, I wish everybody could be rich and famous, you know, so they can understand that being rich and famous is not what makes you happy. But precious few people on the planet think that, you know, if I didn't have this and this and this, and if I had all these things, I would absolutely be happy, but we're terrible at predicting that. And unfortunately 
for a lot of people, they don't come to that realization until much, much later in their life and oftentimes towards the end of their life. And I think that's a tragedy. I think that if people can come to, to this realization much earlier in their journey, they'll be ha a lot happier long term. So circling back to your to your question, what about making time for these things? I absolutely think that it's it's imperative that you make time for things that make you happy, you know, and whether that's things that will make you sustained, you know, live in a sustained world of happiness for the rest of your life or things that make you happy for the next 30 minutes. You should do that. You should absolutely do that. But I think we find that as we start to live our own life and not someone else's, especially young people have a tendency to live the lives that other people either want for them or expect of them. And I think that's a tragedy as well. A lot of people, you know, wake up, you know, midlife and go, wow, I've been living somebody else's life for the last three decades. And I think that that's something that people should avoid at all costs. And that that requires a lot of introspection and a lot of self-awareness. You know, who am I? What are my values? What are my core values? How do I want to pursue those things? You know, in Mark Manson's book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, you know, he talks about this a lot. He's like, very few things are worth giving an F about. And most of those things that aren't worth giving an F about are expectations and wants and desires that other people have for us. I think you've touched on so many points there that I agree with 100%, because I think we spend a lot of time worrying about what we didn't, didn't do in the past, what we should be doing or could be doing in the future. And the clock is ticking. That now clock that you've got in your office is ticking. And we are thinking about the past, thinking about the future and totally ignoring that ticking clock. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no dress rehearsal here. There's no substitutions. You are in the game. I certainly think for younger people now, with social media, comparing other people's lives, oh, when I have this, I'm going to be okay. When I have that, even if you have the, the new shiny thing, in six months, there's going to be another new shiny thing out. It's very easy just to get on this roller coaster of buying the next new shiny thing rather than saying, okay, well, you know, I'm going to concentrate on this. But what do you think about this idea of making this list of what makes you happy? And yes, you're going to start off, oh, I want this fantastic car and I want a new house. But, you know, once you've gone through all those, you'll think, OK, what makes me happy? It makes me happy going out and walking along the shoreline. What do you think about people making those lists when they actually sort of get down to like the real daily things we've gone past the car and the houses and the diamonds and the holidays we've gone past all that <laughs> and we're actually into reality mm -hmm. what is realistically capable most days without a huge expenditure i even if it is just one good cup of coffee and you sit and you just enjoy it what do you think about making that list in most areas of life if you want to get anything done you make a to-do list right otherwise you just Kind of bounce around aimlessly which there's a lot of value in bouncing around aimlessly from time to time by the way but you know not 100 percent of the time i think making the list is an outstanding idea i think that where a lot of the value in that exercise lies is in very carefully considering what you're putting on that list because having a cup of coffee can be super enjoyable but it can be 10x more enjoyable if you're in the moment with that cup of coffee and you're and you're not, you know, 20 other places 
during that time, which comes back to mindfulness, comes back to living in the present. I also think that it's wise when you're making that list to definitely make the list of, you know, the small things that make you happy. You know, the way I look for, for, for myself personally, I can share with you how I approach it. I definitely have a list of things that I know are fun things for me to do. And everybody should do that, right? Fun, enjoyable, however you want to label it. But I put my list into two segments. And one segment is, hey, these are the things that are going to make me happy in the short term that I enjoy, you know, these, these small moments. And then my list also has things that I know factually will make me happy long term or for the rest of my life. And I think by having the list segmented that way, you don't fall completely into one category of the, or the other. You have some balance in your in your pursuits. And I, I think if we go back to happiness versus meaning and value and purpose, um, you can segment the list that way as well. And say, hey, look, here are the things that make me happy. I want to travel or I want to spend more time with my pup or I want to spend more time with my grandkids or whatever the case may be. That's fantastic. And I think at the same time, having things that are more intrinsic and longer term, um, having that on uh, as a list segment as well, then I think is when you start to see uh, some balance. Can we talk about your podcast? Sure. Because I've been listening to your podcast and you are looking at happiness from so many different aspects, angles and with different guests. So let's sure. talk about some of the conversations on your Happiness 2.0 podcast. You know, you're absolutely right. We do definitely do uh, approach it from uh, a lot of different angles. And, you know, and that's really by design. You know, we get into some subjects that are not necessarily super lightweight. Right. Yeah, I think that's so important as well, because happiness isn't all flowers and confetti sometimes, is it? No. And um, we did one recently called Farewell Toxic Ties, Finding Your Authentic Tribe. You know, that particular conversation was really all about being very, very cognizant and aware of whether or not the people that you have chosen to bring into your life, to associate with, to socialize with, are they leaving you in a more resourceful state than you would be without that person in your in your life and and i think that it's super important to realize that look the diversity breeds empathy and compassion there's no question about that i'm not suggesting for a moment that, that you only surround yourself with people who think just like you that's the whole problem with with echo chamber social media and and news channels masquer- entertainment channels masquerading as news is they create echo chambers and we don't expand our horizons that said i do think that people are a whole lot happier if they have a similarly or like-minded group of friends and associates they can confide in, that they can talk to, who aren't going to be judgmental of them, who aren't going to do all these things. So, you know, we talked about that on the podcast. We talk about how to recognize and overcome uh, destructive programming that you've been exposed to. You know, from the time we take our first squalling breath as a baby, we are being programmed. And, you know, oftentimes that programming is from people who have our best interest at heart, but many times they are also people, could be parents, could be caregivers, could be church, could be school, could be government, could be, you know, any number of sources where they're programming us with things that they believe to be true only because someone else told them that they were true and they never did the the intellectual heavy lifting of figuring out, hey, is this is this true and useful, you know, for me in my life? 
So being, you know, we talk about those kinds of things. We talk, you know, recently we've talked about unconditional love. Is that, is that a, an attainable bliss or is that an idealistic myth? So yeah, we, we, we really cover a lot of ground and we try to come at it from a lot of different angles. Talk about motivation strategies. How do you, you know, I don't really care so much about staying motivated. I care about staying inspired because those are, those are two very different things. We hit that in the podcast and uh, we talk about the art of creating near instant rapport with people. So, yeah, there's a lot of ground that we cover. Thank you for asking about it. Well, it's, it's such a big topic, happiness, isn't it? I mean, it's just huge because happiness to one person, as we said, is, is having the new car and, and the other holidays. And to somebody else, it's just I just want to get through the day without any drama and go home to my family and be home in time for dinner. Happiness just covers such a huge area. It does. It's a massive subject. And, um, you know, and it's so interlaced with with psychology, with neuroscience, with spirituality. You know, there's so many pieces of the puzzle. But, you know, at the end of the day, I still think that if people can learn to be present in most every moment that they live, that's about 90 percent of the struggle. So one question, though, Ed, do you think as we get older, we become happier as we move through the stages of life? That is a fantastic question. It it (laughs) really is a great question. I think that it's cyclical and I think that it is somewhat dependent on external circumstance, I would be remiss if I did not say that. I mean, a lot of people want to say, look, if you become enlightened enough that you can be happy no matter what. Okay, if you're living in a monastery in the in the Himalaya, then possibly that is true. However, if you're if you're existing uh, in the modern world, especially in a Western society, then there are travails that you will have to traverse, if you will. You know, I think Scott Peck said said it best in the opening line of his book, The Road Less Traveled, when he said, life is difficult. In the instant that you realize and accept that, it ceases to be difficult. And there's a lot of wisdom under that. Yeah. That is a great quote. Because I was thinking along the lines of, Christmas is a great example. We tie ourselves in knots because we all want to basically have the perfect Christmas, the perfect gift. The perfect family getting on with each other. We are just setting ourselves up for letdown. And I always think when you sort of go to buy gifts for sort of the older members of the family, Uh it's so hard because I've got everything. There's nothing I need. (laughs) If I need something, I'll go and get it. And you think, okay, is that because they are very content with what they've got and they're not going after the latest shiny whatever? Right. Yeah. So I'm just thinking in that respect where they've they've been wearing their skin for quite a few years, so, you know, they, they know themselves quite well and, you know, hopefully they've had a good life and they've got some good things they have done and experiences. And they're like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. You know, I really don't need anything. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I I, going back to my point about it being cyclical. Look, I think in in your in your teens and in your 20s, you know, the world is still largely new. So you're experiencing a lot of firsts, you know, your first time to to travel to this place, your first time, you know, with this relationship, your first time, you know, to buy your first car, you know. And so all of these things um, can certainly make make 
make people happy without question. But at the same time, generally speaking, you have no money. <laughs> so, so you've got the right. So you've got these, these two things that you're contending with. And then typically in people's thirties, they start to thereafter the, the career goals, right? They're having kids or they've had kids and they're dealing with that. And that's got its own set of joys and challenges, but you know, they're trying to climb the ladder, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, what's the, the path to success look like for me. And that can be a really stressful time. You know, they start to achieve some, some modicum of financial success um, as an example, but at the same time, they're working, you know, 80 hours a week and they're struggling, you know, to, to balance a young family and all those things. So again, you've got these, these two sides of that coin. Then in their forties, hopefully they've, you know, they've achieved some success in their career. Family life is a little more stable. And then they start looking around and asking questions. Then they start going, okay, well, I climbed this mountain. I'm standing here. Now what? I'm not, you know, just enveloped in this constant aura of happiness. You know, I, I achieved it all. It goes back to what I said about we're terrible at predicting what makes us happy, right? So then you keep moving a little bit further into people's 50s and 60s, and then they start going, why is my life so damn cluttered? I got way too much crap. I got to get rid of some of this stuff. Right. And that and to your point, that's when people start to realize, you know what, this stuff is not making me happy. It's just more crap. I have to dust every time I clean the house. A lot of people will start to realize, wow, it really is experiences and relationships. It's not stuff. And when people when that starts to dawn on people, that's when your Christmas list starts getting hard to deal with because they're going, oh, you know, I, I Nothing you can walk into a, a store or order on Amazon is anything that I need. And that's when people start to realize that time, 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 they, they're starting to see the compression. They realize that it's finite. They realize, hey, you know what? If I look back on my life, I'm not looking back fondly on the cool car I bought in my 20s. I'm not looking fondly on the big raise I got in my 30s. What they're looking back fondly is, you know, that trip they took with their children or with their loved one. They the acts of service and kindness they shared with people. That's what the, you know, that stuff starts to resonate with people. And then they're like, you know, you don't need to buy me anything. Just come home for Christmas already. Right. I, I think a lot of it is sort of banking those experiences and memories in our head. I mean, I, I have this vision. I don't know when I'm 94, I'm going to be sitting in an armchair and going, I remember the time I went to this show or visited this person or went for this walk and I discovered X, Y, Z. That's what I'm going to be remembering, the people, the occasions and the experiences. And and that's what's going to be magical when you are 94. Right. And and that's why uh, we did a recent podcast called Embracing the, the, the Novel of Life how not to read chapter four 37 times, right? Because we get stuck in the mud of a comfort zone. You know, we end up in a rut. And like my grandfather used to tell me, a rut is just a grave with the ends kicked out of it. And Very nice man. Yeah, he was. He really truly was. Eighth grade education and one of the most brilliant people I, I, I've ever known. It's, it's wisdom like that, that that makes you realize that your comfort zone is a really, really dangerous place. And it may not be dangerous to you right now, today, but it can be very dangerous when it when you start nearing the end of your life because now 
you're what you're regretting is all of the chapters that you didn't read because you read chapter four 37 times instead of reading all 37 chapters of the book. And so I think that turning the page, living new adventures, constantly learning, growing, reading. You know, I saw a shocking statistic the other day that said that 47 percent of high school graduates will never read another book again in their life. And 74 percent of college graduates, amazingly enough, will not read another book in their lifetime. And when you think about that for a moment, I think that's a perfect illustration of people getting into a comfort zone and saying, hey, this is where I'm going to stay. But unfortunately, you know, there's a few dozen more chapters of their life that they're choosing not to turn the page and live. I think that's a, a should be a, a grave concern to just about everyone. Life will pass you by in your comfort zone. Wow, that, that is very scary. Ed, can we talk about the book you're currently writing? Sure. The book is due out this year, and it's called The Road to Shambhala. I just got it back from my editor in the UK, as a matter of fact, and and she and I are going through the uh, the last round of editing um, over the next few weeks, which is a <laughs> writing is great. Editing is a laborious <laughs> pain in the butt. But at any rate, so the book is a novel and it encompasses a huge percentage of what you and I have talked about today. Only it is all wrapped into a, a piece of, of fiction. So it's, it's kind of a, you know, I, I would call it. Adventure fiction would probably be the genre, but it definitely traffics in spiritual fiction as well. Certainly not religious fiction, but spiritual fiction. It's uh, It takes place in uh, in the bayous of Louisiana, so there's a lot of mystical and magical settings in it. A lot of it takes place in New Orleans, which happens to be my home. Write what you know, right? Um, so that's, that's one book. And then the Happiness 2.0 book um, will probably be out in the spring of next year. Um, and it is nonfiction and it really is a how-to manual. It's the happiness 2.0 framework all put to paper. It just uh, explains and lists all the tools and how to use them and how to apply them. But interestingly enough, I think that probably more people will get the exact same thing from the novel because it's, it's so entertaining. People learn really, really well when they're entertained because their defense mechanisms aren't, aren't up. You know, if someone says, hey, let me let me tell you how to do this, then you're immediately all the filters and defense mechanisms go go up. But if someone says, hey, let me tell you a story, that's a whole different animal. So, yeah. So that's a little bit a little bit about the two books that are in the works currently. Ed, what makes you happy? There's a series of things that make me happy. I think probably the thing that on the, the shorter term side of things, time and experiences with my family and friends are something that I have pursued from a very young age, I was very, very fortunate to have come to that realization. You know, it's not to say that I didn't pursue success and stuff and things, and I absolutely I did when I was much younger. However, adventure is what makes me happy. Living in the moment, being president, fully present in the moment, and being fully present in new adventures. And whether those adventures are trekking through the you know, taking an eco trip in the jungles of Mexico, or whether it's reading a new book, I my natural inclination is to absorb as much knowledge and experience as I possibly can. And the older that I have gotten, the more important that has become. And I also completely understand that sharing those experiences, you know, my, my wife and I have been fortunate to be married for a really long time and she's every bit as much of an experienced junkie as I am. And so we're really, we have learned to be really good at turning the page. You know, we're about to up and move to another country, 
And most people just go, oh, your what? Your family, your friends are all going, well, you know. Um, I'm like, look, you know, we're, we're a plane ride away. We're not, you know, we're not disappearing for the, <laughs> forever. Um, so, yeah, new experiences, knowledge, time with friends and loved ones, and being fully present in, in my moments. Those are the things that are nearest and dearest to me. So just before we finish then, Ed, what sort of pearls of wisdom can you give to our listeners about happiness? I think I've said it probably five times on the, on, on the interview so far, and, and that is, do your best to be fully present in the moment. And, and I think that, look, I wrote on, with crayons on my shower wall. On one wall, I wrote, be here now. And on the other one, I wrote, stay present. So that's, I start my day with that message. For people who may think that mindfulness is some kind of exotic, mystical thing, it's really not. And the easiest way I know to do it, you think you can stay present until you try to stay present and you realize you can stay present for about three seconds before the the incessant chatter in your head starts to carry you elsewhere. So start with little tiny increments. Try to stay present in the shower where you're only paying attention to the cleaning, the soaping, the, the smells, the water on your skin, the fragrances, you know, all of these things with no thought of anything else. And you'll make it about 10 seconds, maybe if you're lucky. But after a month, you might make it through a whole shower. I, you know, I hopped out of a shower one day and I was doing the happy dance. And my wife knows exactly what the happy dance looks like, right? So I get out of the shower doing the happy dance and, she, you know, she's she's putting her makeup on. She's like, why are you? She didn't even look up. So why are you doing the happy dance? And I said, because I just stayed present through an entire 10 minute shower. I was elated, <laughs> right? When you're preparing food, there's so much to focus on, focus on the colors, the fragrances, the chopping, the preparing, the cooking, the, you know, all of those things and stay present, stay focused. And while these things sound trivial and trite, I promise you they will kick open the door to a level of happiness that a lot of people have never experienced. So if there's one thing, that's the one thing. And, and what happens is, is you find over time. You know, if you're doing mindfulness meditation where you're staying focused on your breath and just letting thoughts arise and and go away. As you do these things, you know, so many things become meditation. Cleaning the house becomes meditation. Sweeping the driveway becomes meditation. Cooking, the showering. You know, when you see monks sweeping at the monastery, they're meditating. They're not, I mean, they're sweeping, but they're meditating. And so what happens is, as you begin to bring these practices into your everyday life, all of a sudden you realize that they have that it has this effect and it starts spreading to all other areas of your life without conscious effort because you're training your mind you're telling your brain okay be quiet stay present Uh, most of us live our life as if we have someone in the passenger seat of our car who literally never shuts up if it was a friend you'd shoot them you you literally would shoot them Um, If you had to make a four hour road trip with a friend who would never close their mouth, you can imagine. But that's the state that most of us live in. So the goal of mindfulness and staying present meditation, however you want to approach it, is to quieten that constant chatter because we falsely identify that internal dialogue as who we are. It is not. It absolutely is not. Who you are is the person who's recognizing the chatter. Oh, my God, that is so powerful. It is. It's not the easiest thing in the world to sort of try and, you know, silence those voices. I mean, I'm I'm quite into meditation, 
And as soon as you mention meditation, to be, oh, no, I can't sit still for an hour with my legs crossed and um, that's a meditation on one level. But just sitting in a chair, sitting on the floor and just try and focus on your breathing. The chatter will still happen. What are you going to do as soon as you get up off the floor? What you should have done this morning? Who are you going to mm-hmm. phone? It's tough trying to quieten that mind. You know what? The, the breakthrough that I had was stop trying, stop struggling, stop grasping. When thoughts arise, notice them and let them go. And when there's no struggle involved, they pass a lot quicker and a lot easier. And so you're not fighting against thought. You're fighting against getting fixated on thought. So, okay, I just popped into my head what I have to do tomorrow at 3 p.m. Okay, Note, duly noted, let it go. And through that practice, you will become more, your brain basic. Look, people live their life like they're chained to the back seat of a bus, which is their brain, and someone that they don't know is driving. That's how people tend to live. And the fact of the matter is, once you realize you don't have to live that way, then unlock the chain and walk up to the front of the bus, throw that guy out of the seat, get in the bus. It is a choice. And when you when you tell your brain this, then your brain goes, oh. Okay, so you don't want me to run my my mouth in nonstop incessantly in your head? Okay, let's not do that. And over time, because you probably lived a lifetime that way, over time, it will start to shift. And I think as long as you don't make it a struggle, you're not reaching, you're not grasping, you're not wrestling with this, just uh, let it arise, notice it, and let it be on its way. And I think that's uh, I think that's just absolutely foundational to long-term happiness. Oh, that is absolutely brilliant. There is so much information there that just makes total sense. We are in charge of our brain. Let those thoughts just come and just pass by like it's a cloud and just take a breath. And oh, I, I love the idea of the clock with now. That, that I'm going to look for one of those. That is just absolutely brilliant. Right. Ed, thank you so much for this conversation. There was just so much common sense there. A lot of it we know, but we just don't practice or we just go, well, yeah, it's okay for him, but I can't do that. Yes, we can do it. It's going to take a little bit of time and effort, but we can do it. This, uh, the payoff is, is immense and worth it. Oh, Ed, thank you so much. And Absolutely. good luck with the two books. Thank you so much, and thanks a million for having me. You are welcome. Thanks, Ed. Okay. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please subscribe for future episodes on whatever platform you are listening on. It is free. And if you have a story to tell, please contact me on allaboutyoupodcast at yahoo.com and let's get your story told.